0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. First podcast of the week. Uh, Technical difficulties yesterday. That happens too much. I'm going to Try to look into getting maybe a new computer set up or something like that. Yesterday, it was uh, the Apple computer that I work on. And uh, I love Apple products, but maybe it's time for a new one. Uh, Couldn't get the thing started and kind of had to defrag it or whatever. But here we are. We got it done. Lots to talk about today, as always. Wanted to wait until after Will Muschamp's press conference today. Sort of uh, go through any kind of news from there. Wasn't a lot of news, just a lot of talk um, from Muschamp about the game. You know, this Saturday – uh, Carolina plays at Vanderbilt. Kickoff is noon on the SEC network up in Nashville. No fans, I guess, are allowed at the game. Um, that's the only stadium in the SEC, I think, that's like that. But, you know, that, that's what the deal is. And so uh, I guess the highlight of the press conference for me today was talking about Kirk Hollingsworth and Chris Fulmer, those guys that have been to every game since, you know, this is the mid 80s and, and late, not early 90s. I mean, that, you know, if you guys are listening, you know, shout out to you, and I hope you find a way to get in the ball game uh, on Saturday. Sounds like you probably could. So it was kind of a uh, kind of a strange Saturday of football. I think, in you know, with COVID and everything, you're gonna you're gonna have some some strange outcomes. Not so much in the SEC. I, I was surprised Arkansas beat Mississippi State, but I, I've been sort of saying Arkansas is not as bad as maybe thought people thought. And uh, you know, Mississippi State obviously came right back down to earth. Which probably gives you a little bit of concern if you're lSU, but LSU got up off the the mat this weekend with a win over vandy. The Gamecocks will be playing Vanderbilt this weekend up in Nashville. So here we are, Gamecocks are Owen two. Um, that's the tough That's a tough start, obviously. Uh, I think if you're South Carolina, that was not you know supposed to happen. Uh, or maybe it was supposed to happen, but it, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, it would have been good if it hadn't have happened. Uh, Gamecocks are now going into a game where they're a 13-point favorite. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, this season has started out badly in terms of Carolina, if you look at kind of the the field of play um, or the play on the field, so to speak, and – You know, I think there's a big opportunity this weekend to get a big game over over a team that's probably not all that good. I mean, give them credit for hanging with A&M. Last week, LSU sort of took them to the woodshed, and the Gamecocks have an opportunity to do it. I will say, this is not a team that you need to go take lightly because they can definitely beat you. But um, I think that um, compared to the first two weeks, obviously the level of competition – uh, lightens up a bit. And quite frankly, I think it does the next weekend against Auburn too, based on what I've seen out of Auburn so far. So we will uh, we will see kind of how all that happens, all of it plays out. Uh, we'll talk more about the game this weekend coming up. Uh, I did like to hear that practice was spirited today and the guys were confident. I mean, because, you know, you're in an 0-2 hole right now. The worst thing you can do is start to get negative and let it snowball. I mean, this team, this program needs to win this weekend. I mean, they have to, this is, you know, there, there are no such things as must wins, but this is a must win because you can't go down Oh uh, three. And then things will really start to unravel. Uh, I think that the Gamecocks, you know, certainly there's a reason they're almost two touchdown favorite and, and it's a game they should go win. Um, and frankly, you know, you watch this team two weeks in a row and, you know, you lost to Tennessee at home and obviously they had opportunities there made mistakes cost them the game. And I think they had an opportunity to be in the game of Florida late more so than they were, but mistakes cost them there. So they, you know, you hear the term cleanup, uh, Josh Pate actually on his very fine late kick extra podcast said that talked about cleaning things up, uh, like it's a spill on aisle, whatever. Uh, I think he was talking about LSU last week, got to go clean things up. And so, you know, that, that's the key for the Gamecocks. I think they just have to clean things up and, um, you know, mistakes were critical. You can't make mistakes like that against the third-ranked team in the country. Whether or not Florida's number three, who knows? Uh, but they, you know, they were heading in and they were kind of on a roll. And you could tell they were playing with confidence and the Gamecocks didn't always do it. Carolina fought hard, played hard, you know, bounced back, tied it at 14, bounced back from 38-14 uh, down and cut it to two touchdowns. I wish, I wish Hill and Shai Smith would have connected there at the end. Um, give at least give him a shot at the onside's kick. But, you know, a loss is a loss, you know, and I don't know that, um, you know, I, I don't know that Carolina ends up winning. Stranger things have happened, obviously. Uh, you get Shy Smith, you, you recover an onside's kick, Shy Smith gets behind the defensive backfield, they connect, and all of a sudden you're going to overtime. But uh, it, um, you know, it, it was just a, another game where you kind of look at it, and, you know, Carolina – uh, had their opportunities and um, it just uh, didn't work out. And so that's kind of become a story here for the last 15 games or so at South Carolina, all last season, uh, season before. I mean, the game, the, the result of the game this year, and I think Florida's a much better team than they were last season, uh, was, you know, three points difference. It was 38 27 last year, 38 24 this year. Um, so I, I think if you want a positive to take away from it, South Carolina fought hard i thought the offensive line played much better uh, is it perfect no but when you got that defense coming at you with grantham dialing blitzes up and they've got great athletes over there at florida um you know it can get much much uglier than it was at times and, and it really wasn't that ugly at times you know, colin hill stood in there i thought the run blocking was was good one of the better run blocking games that you've seen and uh Folks, lo and behold, Kevin Harris rushed for 100 yards. Uh, 22 carries, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Gamecocks were without Xavier Leggett in the second half. Um, I know Xavier dropped a pass, and so mo- some of you may not agree with me, but you know, that's your number two receiver, and you're still trying to dial it up and, and, and credit Mike Bobo with another great play called game. I mean, it, it feels better to talk about Bobo and his play calling. Uh, if they win, I know that. But just from a breaking it down from a neutral standpoint, I thought he had another you know, pretty masterful game. Uh, and I thought Carolina's defense, they got kind of big played to death, gave up the explosive plays. Will Muschamp talked about that in his press conference today too. But they held that bus to 348 yards and only 80 rushing yards. Um, and I think those types of performances, because you're going to have to stop the run. Florida's a different animal than a lot of teams because they have all those good receivers and they have Kyle Trask. And they have Kyle Pitts, and they have that great big playability, Kendarius Toney, Tony, my goodness, uh, great game for him. Um, and, and so they're gonna they're gonna go up and down the field on a lot of people this year. You know that, that's not you know just related to Carolina, and uh, they play a And M this weekend, and you know we'll see what happens there. But I, I do think that the Gamecocks, you know, defensively do have some bright spots because you, you kind of look at how they stopped the run against Tennessee, with the exception of one drive. They stopped the run pretty well against Florida Uh, and that could be a tricky run game, please. I mean, let's, let's not, let's not pretend like Dan Mullins teams don't know how to line up and smash you. Um, And and I thought, you know, there were some bright spots defensively. You know, I thought Jordan Birch again, when he played, he flashed. I'm not necessarily advocating for him to get more snaps because I know he's got to get ready. Um, And, you know, you could have a disaster if he doesn't know his assignments and he could lose confidence or whatever, but, when he's out there, boy, athletically, he looks like he belongs uh, in a big way. Um, and credit Tonka Hemingway with forcing a fumble, man. I mean, that's, 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 uh, you know, I think we all sort of thought because Tonka it was a guy that played multiple sports in high school, never had the year round training, that maybe in football it was going to take him a year or so. But man, he got out there and got after it, forced a fumble. That was a big play, a big play in the football game. And Carolina's offense went down and scored. So, Thought that was a bright spot. Thought John Dixon played really hard at corner because uh, they had to shift McCown move over to safety because he, you know, still nursing the groin or whatever. Uh, I think that's a positive because we talked about needing another corner to step up. Um, you know, Cam Smith, to me, did not play terribly. Uh, you know, bounced back, made some tackles, did some things. Uh, but if you look at those two, uh, John Dixon right now looks re- more ready to play than Cam Smith. Uh, and that's a good thing because Carolina absolutely needs that to happen. I know R.J. Roderick got kind of picked on all game. Um, and I'm right there with you. You know, I, I said before the game, R.J. Roderick and Izzy McCwamu are two guys that are kind of in the spotlight for me. You know, I call it the hot – I used to call it the hot seat, but somebody said, well, that's a coaching term. You know, they're not going to fire R.J. Roderick or whatever. And you're right. So, in the spotlight, you know, those are my two guys. They have to play well uh for South Carolina to, to have a chance and uh, I you know McQuamo did have the one-handed interception but I hope you know everybody understands that that was a highlight another highlight play from him but he's got to be more consistent and all that uh and then you know I, I thought that Roderick obviously struggled and um that was tough and you know when you play Dan Mullen and his coach football team you know a, a Dan Mullen coach football team rather you know you have to you know, you have to play better than that at safety because they will exploit you in a heartbeat. They will go right after your weakness, and they did. And that's most of the teams in this league. Uh, you know, Jalen Dickerson got in there and played pretty well. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him, uh, whether he gets more snaps, whether Roderick responds. You know, that's a position on the kind of, you know, you're looking at that I'm like, well, you know, this, 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 has, to, this has to get better back there. Uh, I think Robinson's playing well. I think Horn, you know, the one – Catch made by Pitts, that's a, a good coverage by J.C. on the play. Pitts just made a great play. And the ball was thrown right where Pitts could catch it. So it was a great reception. Uh, you know, what can you say about Shy Smith right now? 22 catches in two games. <laughs> uh, everybody talked about it. Could he be a number one guy? Well, I think he's proven that. He's got to continue to make, be consistent. Uh, but I think, like Muschamp said in the press conference, and based on what I hear, you know, he's getting there. Um, you know, to where he understands he's got to go out and make plays. Uh, and he's the number one guy. I mean, he's been behind two NFL guys. Uh, and if he continues this kind of production, he's gonna make some money because he's gonna get drafted. And so I think that uh, you know, that's a positive thing with Shy I gotta keep him healthy, please. Uh, you know, or the Carolina's not gonna not going to have the success on offense, let's say, that they are right now because he, he's very important. I don't know what to say about another receiver stepping up. I think Rico Powers obviously had a drop, but came back in, played for Leggett, uh, looked pretty good. They're catch and run at the end, uh, I think, on the final drive. Uh, and, you know, he's a true freshman, so he's going to continue uh, to get opportunities, in my opinion. And, you know, as seasons go on, sometimes I've seen freshman receivers – you know, not do much first couple of games, and then, you know, the rest of the year they're on target. Uh, Sydney Rice was kind of that way. You know, Sidney uh, in the opener in 2005, I don't think he caught a pass. or And maybe he was injured, but he didn't catch a pass then against Georgia. He started doing some things, and then for the rest of the year it was on. I'm not predicting that kind of success, folks, for Rico Powers. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey is the same way. It was, it was game four against uh, Kentucky before he really stepped up. And then he was great from then on out. So there is some precedent there. Not saying Rico Powers is going to be either one of those guys. Uh, I hope he is, but uh, I'm not trying to hang that albatross around his neck. I'm just merely pointing out that freshman receivers, you know, are are guys sometimes that, you know, game or two, they step up and and, and go get them. Um, I mentioned the offensive line, and I did praise them. I did think Ja'Kai Moore had some moments where he struggled, uh, you know, one of those plays, I just don't know that you could have made a better move than the defensive line made. I mean, they're getting coached too, you know, and I thought that was one. And then, uh, you know, other times he broke down and passed pro a little bit. Um, and I think Ja'Kai is going to be fine. I don't think that's a, you know, an indictment of him in terms of being a good player. He just may not be completely ready, uh, and he'll get better. Uh, but, man, I mean, if, if they want to make a change or something, it would be helpful – if turning time stepped up and, and won that left tackle job, like we thought, uh, and you can move Dylan Wanham back to right. Cause I think Dylan Wanham is more of a right tackle. I, I do. Uh, I believe that, you know, the interior played much better. You know, I, I think that was a performance by the offensive line. You could you could sit there and build on, you know, and they struggled in the first half against Tennessee. They were a little bit better second half against Tennessee. Uh, and now here they go. Um, so build upon that. You got a team in Vandy that you match up really well with this weekend. You know, you just got to keep going. Uh, again, Kevin Harris, you know, I thought was, was really good. Uh, you know, I, I think in a year where he was kind of running back by committee, he ran hard. And, and Fenwick, you know, only six carries. And I know he had the crucial fumble, but, you know, he averaged five yards a carry and he was running hard. Did not see Zaquandre White. They're still trying to kind of get him ready, I would guess but uh did think kevin harris you know show, he showed me something this past weekend and i mentioned in my post game notes on the bigspur.com i felt bad for you know him and mike bobo and colin hill cuz i think they all came to win the game not that the other guys didn't you know not that shy smith didn't with his performance uh but but it was those three really stood out to me as got where you sat there and you went well I mean, these guys are pretty good um and i know colin didn't Light it up yardage wise, but uh, and he threw it 47 times for 212 yards. So yards per completion are not off the charts. but I do think that um, you know I do think that uh, there's some, some things you can build on with those guys uh, offensively. and uh, that's kind of the focus. And again, when you dig into the numbers on defense, it's not there, not that bad. you know you hold a team to 80 rushing yards at their place, you know I think that's pretty good. Um, but 348 total yards, that, that's pretty good. But the explosive plays killed them, and it killed them against Tennessee, and at some point they're going to have to stop those, limit those explosive plays. Uh, and it's kind of a pick-your-poison thing because people get mad. Uh, some of you get mad when they play off coverage and you know, kind of let the guy catch it, you know, given a cushion or whatever. That's designed to limit explosive plays. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a catch-22 sometimes. I don't know that they need to play more off coverage. I think they just need to clean up the mistakes. And again, in crunch time, when the defense has a chance to go make a stop, you know, and they did it second half, late late in the game when they were down big. But like you got to make that stop down 24-14, you know, uh after the offense gave them the ball back. You know, I mean, you gotta make that stop again. Now I'm proud of them. You know, you gotta be proud of them for stopping the first drive of the second half, but you know, it's just one of those things, just one of those things. And, and that, that's just kind of where it is. That's just how it is in South Carolina right now. And um, again, I'm going to reference Josh. Uh, he gave me a nice shout out on his episode of the late kick extra this week. Um, you know, he was asked by one of you, I'm assuming if South Carolina has a program was at a crossroads. And I think absolutely they are. Um, I think that right now, as I said last week, the losses are piling up. And when the losses are piling up, there's really only one thing you can do to change it, and that's go win a game. <laughs> and like I said, Carolina's got a good opportunity this weekend against Vanderbilt. And then, quite frankly, you know, we're only two weeks in. Um, I, I don't know that Auburn, you know, and, and they've got Arkansas, so they kind of got to get-well game themselves. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know that what I've seen out of Auburn so far – makes them some insurmountable force that Carolina can't beat, you know, in a couple of weeks. And, and I know Carolina's never beaten them since the Gamecocks have been in the SEC. So you never want to say, you, you know, that's going to happen. And, and I'll say the same for Texas A&M. Another team Carolina's never beaten since joining the SEC. Since A&M joined the SEC. Um, Carolina's not beating A&M at all. Uh, so, you know, those two games are at home. I thought Carolina's crowd against Tennessee was actually louder than you expect. Um, and I think those games are, are, are not, I don't think you look at them even maybe like you did the game this past weekend and go, it's going to take a, just a crazy bunch of bounces to go the game way for them to win those. And that's as of now, we'll see what happens, you know, here in a couple of weeks. Cause this, this thing in the sec where there's, you know, no off weeks, basically no get well games. Uh, and I know I called the Arkansas-Auburn game a get-well game and Vandy-Carolina get-well game. But, I mean, you really can't take the anybody lightly in this league. And so, you know, that that's just kind of the thing. And you're just going to have to, you know, suck it up and go try to win because you're in an 0-2 hole. Um, and I think the West draw, as it looks now, looks a lot less daunting than maybe in the preseason when you're like, well, you got Auburn, LSU, A&M. Uh, Ole Miss is a scary team on offense. I'll tell you that right now. You know, you talk about explosive plays. Of course, they beat Kentucky this past weekend. Um, Kentucky goes down into an old two-hole, just like the Gamecocks, just like Vandy and Missouri. And so, you know, Vandy and Missouri and Kentucky are still on the schedule. You know, so there's there's a way you can kind of finagle it and you can see this team turning it around. Like I said, it's not been – a complete disaster the first two games. Um, I, I still believe South Carolina should have beaten Tennessee. Uh, I don't know that they were that much worse than Tennessee. I think if you don't make the mistakes, you should probably beat Tennessee, and maybe the Florida game is right down to the wire, and it's a completely different narrative right now. Um, but I understand. I mean, the narrative, uh, the negative narrative is going to happen because, like I said before, The losses are piling up, my friends. The losses are piling up. Vandy's got the 74th-ranked defense in the country, 52nd-ranked I'm Sorry, 74th-ranked offense in the country, 52nd-ranked D. You know, they play the Gamecocks. I think Carolina's right there in the 50s, 57 on offense. But they're 28th in total defense right now, Uh, 21st in rushing defense, 46 passing defense. You know, so Carolina's defense, you know, say what you want. It's just been – you know it's been a a, a a missed play opportunity after missed play opportunity you know gamecocks have just uh, had some issues with big plays in the past game um so far this year and and you know this is a good weekend to turn it around in, in my opinion uh you know up in nashville you know that's uh, <laughs> uh it seems like every year we've had this where we've we've sort of you know talked about that um about um you know Vanderbilt being a game you can turn it around or whatever uh and I'm trying to think back uh you know there's always uh, you know always one of those things all right we got the mailbag coming in just going to do email mailbag today oh my gosh <laughs> lots of lots of questions on the mailbag um Preston says, another day, another loss. Love the show, man. Keep it up. Very frustrating, it seems, as though it's time for champ. Not even competitive in this game. We obviously don't have guys on defense such as Roderick who can't tackle or doesn't have the speed. Starter for two or three years, blows my mind. champ hasn't recruited any SEC-type safeties. Yeah, he's got Robinson. Uh, we have two talented corners for sure, and I like Jamie, but that other missing piece, that's critical. Can't lose to Tennessee in year five at home in this battle against Florida. Seems as though we'll never get back to the Spurrier days, your thoughts. A very frustrated fan, Preston. I understand your frustration completely. Um, If you think about it just three years ago in 2017, it would have been an uh, an upset had Carolina lost to Florida or Tennessee that year. Um, Tennessee won zero conference games. I think Florida went four and seven and three and five. You know, they hired a new coach. Both hired new coaches. And now you look and you're 0-2 against them. So I agree with you there you know, about everything. I, I, I understand the, the frustration uh, and all that happy stuff. So, you know, just hang in there is all I can say. <laughs> um, as far as getting back to the Spurrier days, you just never know what's going to happen. I, I still believe that this program has a lot of potential. And, you know, don't – you know, people will sit there and say, well, it's just South Carolina, you know, Spurry And that's, that's what you're afraid of, obviously, when you lose a coach like Steve Spurrier, you start thinking, "Well, is that as good as it ever gets?" You know, you're not going to be able to find anybody to come in here and, and replicate that. Which, quite frankly, was a very modest stretch in terms of championships and things like that. I mean, it was better than the program had ever been. And you know, you, nobody ever needs to forget the head ball coach. I mean, give him credit for, you know, 86 and 49 at South Carolina is tremendous. Coached a lot of great NFL players you know, an, an oversaw, like a transformation of the public, uh, or I'm sorry, the public face of the program with all the stadium upgrades and facilities upgrades that got started under his watch um, really oversaw an elevation of the South Carolina program, which is why we're sitting here uh, after an O and two start where you played Tennessee and Florida pretty close at times, time, at times with Florida, then, um, you know, in the Brad Scott era, or even Lou Holt, early Lou Holtz, or early Spurrier era, you'd have been like, "Well, played them close," you know, Tennessee and Florida. But that's uh, that's just that's just how it is right now. And, Yeah, you're right. It's tough. The, the losses are piling up, piling up. Kevin says, uh, "Keep it up, J.C. You're always five stars." Bates West, Kevin. He says, I won't dwell on the obvious shortcomings for the game in Well, I thought Colin Hill played nearly perfect quarterback on Saturday. The drops by the Gamecocks receivers were alarming, even Shy Smith. Why can't the group catch? I don't know. That's a mystery to me, but it didn't start this year under Joe Cox. I'll put it that way. Um, and I feel bad for Joe because I think he's a pretty good young coach, but they need to – they got to get on the jugs. And Chap did say something that made sense today. Sometimes when you make a big deal out of that, it's like putting and golf. You know, you don't want to – Overly concentrate on it and think about it. Um, uh, Bates West Kevin goes on to say, center, Eric Douglas is playing well in the blocking game, and if his, sn- his snaps from shotgun have been perfect. Yeah, Eric Douglas is playing his butt off. Um, and we remember Eric Douglas starting a guard against North Carolina last year, and he did not play that well. So this is another example that players can get better, especially on the offensive line. You know, Parker White looks ready to drill a game winner next Saturday versus the Commodores, Um, Let's hope it doesn't come down to that. (laughs) Um, And I agree, Parker will hit it, but let's hope it doesn't come down to that, Kevin. Lastly, offensive two-minute drill, go quickly, or it's not part of Bobo's offense. And this has been sort of explained away. I I think everybody realizes they maybe should have gone a little faster. But, you know, South Carolina is not going to get on offense, unless it's a situation like that again, two-minute drill where they're going to go fast this year. It's just not who they are. Um, And I'll leave it at that. And and I I honestly think that their prescription for winning is not getting out there going crazy fast. They used a little tempo earlier in the game and then dialed it back. I think that, you know, you're going to see 10 play drives, uh, you know, and it is difficult. And hopefully, you know, Shai Smith on the screen that time, I mean, he was a hair away from uh, breaking a long one. Um, and, and, and so they need those types of plays to, to sort of, uh, I guess formulate, would that be a good word to manifest themselves? I'll use that word to manifest themselves in the game. Um, but yeah, the, the offense two minute drill thing is probably something that, you know, if they look back on it, they probably go a little faster and, and, and operate a little bit higher clip. Thanks Bates, West, Kevin. We appreciate it. Noah says, join the podcast. Well, I try not to question the play calling the coach is no farther than me, but what were the coaches thinking in the fourth quarter when they allowed the offense to move at a snail's pace? Just discuss that. Um, like I said, I know that would be questioned to death. I mean, you're sitting there watching it, and the announcers are talking about it. Um, but, but that's just kind of who they are. And, and I think if they had to do it over again, maybe, yeah, they'd go a little faster. But like Muschamp said today, and he's right about this, you know, at some point you only have two timeouts. You're playing for an onside kick because that's the only call you can make, because they're going to run the clock out. Um, you know, and I, and I think they thought, too, you know, get inside two minutes, you can score, and then you have enough time to operate defensively, even if the onside kick doesn't work out. Um, and then it got more and more, you know, the, the clock just kept dribbling and dribbling. I wish they would have done this two years ago in the swamp <laughs> on offense, because uh, Carolina would have won that game. But uh, that just didn't happen. But I understand all that. Jason Blanton emails in. Can you make it stop hurting? Well, I'm officially off the Muschamp bandwagon. I've been trying to justify him saying he works hard and he's time. Well, this is season five of what seems to be game in and game out. Why no Doty or Joyner with all the wide receiver drops? I don't know. Joyner played. He just wasn't open. Uh, 7.32 drive, eight minutes down 14. Do we not have the players or the coaching? Sure seems like both at times. I know we have some guys thanks for the podcast going to get a glass of bourbon now hope you enjoyed that bourbon Jason um I think the coaching you know what is crazy because it seems like every year under this coaching staff it's been a different set of coaching issues um and I think part of mistakes is coaching you know guys not doing their assignments or whatever uh, and that's kind of been what's hurting Carolina I mean I, I don't I look out there and I think the schemes are pretty sound, you know, if you think about it and, you know, statistically the, the defense is playing well. And uh, offensively, I think the Gamecocks are, are doing what they need to do in terms of execution and going up and down the field. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I I understand getting off the bandwagon. And, look, that bandwagon is is, is not going to have any people on it for a while until they start winning again. Uh, and they got to beat. Starts with Vanderbilt, but you know they, they've got to win some of these games against the West. You know you can't go out there and go zero for four against the West because uh, the West is in the middle of the schedule this year. And then oh look, you're three and seven. That just can't cut it. You know as far as being on the bandwagon or not, I have no idea if a change will be made or not. I tend to think that the COVID financial issues are going to stop that at most programs. But you you just never know. But uh, I, I do think that I share your frustration, my friend. And and look, I don't know that anybody expected Carolina to go win the game Saturday. Um I didn't pick it. I think I picked 38 to 20. Um Tony didn't pick it. Nobody picked the upset. But I think when you actually watch the game, what the frustrating part of it was, you know, Florida was Florida was the superior team in terms of they had more playmakers and more athletes, but they weren't that much better. You know, I, I didn't think, I mean, a busted play here, a, a missed assignment there, a mistake here, you know, um, and, and that's what happened. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to sit here and say, stay positive folks, uh, when they're O and two and you had their chances, you had your chances in both of them. Um, but it is what it is. And so uh, I'm not saying stay positive, but I am saying if they go and get a big win at Vandy and Auburn continues to str- struggle and A&M continues to struggle because they are. Um, LSU beat the snot out of Vandy this past weekend, but, you know, they, they've they got a good passing game and all that. But, you know, that that's not LSU's body of work and such to where they can just, you know, line up and beat the Gamecocks without trying. Um, and then Ole Miss has – no defense, but uh, a good offense that they're going to have to stop. But, you know, you, you got to turn it around. I mean, that, that, that's the situation they're in. If you don't win one or both of those first two games, when you look at the schedule, you're like, well, you're going to have to find some wins from the West, which historically have not been easy. So that's just kind of the way it's got to work. But you'll be all right, Jason. Um, it's, uh, it's tough, you know, when you, when the losses start piling up, like I said, it gets really difficult. Um, Mark says, hope everything is okay your way. Yes, I was fine. I just had computer issues again. That kept me from the website, blah, blah, blah. Florida game went about as expected for me, Mark says, but I'm concerned about time management. On the last drive, And Muschamp's answer made no sense. It's like you can't see the forest and the trees at time. I'm encouraged by the rest of their schedule. There's still a lot of winnable games. I agree with you there. I didn't think Muschamp's initial you know, explanation made sense. But I I thought, like, the way he explained it today was better. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Sawyer says, are Gamecock fans spoiled by the Spurrier era? I see a lot of fans that seem content with being within a few scores each game, winning a few games here and there. The fan base seems to be divided in half by the older generation who's used to losing and mediocrity, and the other half, including myself, who grew up through the Spurrier era, don't expect anything less than winning season and bowl games every year. Yes. And look, Sawyer, you're you're right. And I'm going to say this. Uh, And I understand because I I grew up – I was born in 76 and I grew up in the 80s. And that's 86-ish, 86 season, you know, I was, what, nine that year. Um, That's when I really started understanding football. As a kid, I understood baseball and basketball. They're simpler games. But the intricacies of football, I didn't really get to know uh, until 86. And that was the first year I really kind of followed it. Um, my parents uh, were Gamecock fans, and, and I went to a game in 79, the Hall of Fame Bowl. That was my first game. I, I don't remember it. I remember I was under a poncho, uh, and my mom's poncho had a hole in it because it was raining in Birmingham, and Carolina lost to Missouri. Well, Birmingham's a house of horrors for South Carolina. Um, and then uh, I went to the 83 Notre Dame game at williams Bryce with my mom and dad. And then they went to almost every game in '84, and I remember they had little orange bowl stickers because they felt they were going to the orange bowl. Um, and then '86 is kind of when I came along, and so I remember the years where if Carolina got to a bowl, that was huge. That was a huge deal. Um, and then right on up through Sparky Woods and Brad Scott, where you know you you did all right till the end of the year, and then you had Tennessee, Florida, and Clemson, and those games sort of define you and you never really beat Tennessee or Florida. And then Clemson was a 50, 50 proposition because their program was not anywhere near where it is now. Um, And so it was all kind of all about winning the Palmetto bowl and trying to sneak into, into Shreveport or Fort Lauderdale or wherever. Uh, And then the bottom fell out, Brad Scott, in the first year Lou Holtz, and then Lou turned it around. Um, I think Lou, those two years, 2000, 2001, Gamecocks contended. I mean, people don't realize this. South Carolina was up 21-3 to 3 at the Swamp in 2000. They blocked two punts. They win that game. They go to Atlanta that year and play for the SEC East, our SEC championship. Um, so that's, that was an instant turnaround. Um, and then it dipped a little bit. Then it took Spurrier five or six years to really get it to that 11-win deal. But I think during that time from 2000 on – the minimum standards of the program changed. It's it's not, you know, you know, it used to be that, well, you had a couple losing seasons or whatever, that's fine, just get to a bowl and everything would be okay. That's just not the case anymore. Uh, this program for two decades, you know, has more times than not had winning season going to bowls, and in really good years, they've contended for the SEC East. So those are the new standards. And, well, Muschamp mentioned this when he was hired. The standards have changed, and he's absolutely right about that. And so this stretch has been compared to the minimum standards, um, I you know, kind of uh, unacceptable in terms of the minimum standards of the of the Carolina football program. I think Will champ would tell you that. And so they're kind of at a crossroads. Even. you either you either turn it around these next few games, and and I think this team is capable. Uh, they're going to have to have some things bounce their way, but I. You know, unlike at the end of last year where I just didn't think, after that Tennessee loss that, you know, they did beat Vandy. Vandy's quarterback went out with an injury early in that game. I I was just like, this is not a competitive football team. I think this team is. Um, Are they lacking some skill, talent, and some talent here and there? Absolutely. But uh, I don't think this team is like, you know, dead in the water, even at 0-2. Uh, but you have to do it. And, and you mentioned the divide. Now, yeah, the older generation looks back and like we'll never do any better than Steve Spurrier, yada, yada. yada. That, that's not true. That, that's just not true. I mean, you know, that once once a program has done it, you know, and I suppose you could end up being like Kentucky where Bear Bryant did some things. Jerry Claiborne did some things in the 80s and then they were just bad. You know, but I, I think South Carolina's a better job than Kentucky. Uh, they're better football players in their footprint. I think they can recruit better. I think it's a it's a better program. They don't have to live in the shadow of basketball. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, and and as part of maybe that older generation that remembers the bad old days, you know, I, I don't think that that has anything to do with the recent history. And I and I believe in history, and I I believe in respecting it and, you know, studying it and looking at it and looking at trends and things like that to kind of get a gauge of like where you are exactly as a program um, in general. But I don't think for a minute that Carolina needs to go back to where they were in the 90s uh, to where they were just, you know, one of the bottom dwellers of the SEC. I mean, too much money has been spent, too much hard work has been put in, including by this coaching staff and this administration to have those types of results. And I think Will Muschamp and Ray Tanner would agree with you. Um, but they're 0-2, and you know, you got to start winning. The losses are piling up. That's kind of the the theme of today's show. I don't know that I'll name it that. But. Joe says, JC, thank you for reading and responding to my email on air. I listen to your podcast daily no matter what. Thank you. Sorry I missed yesterday. I'm grateful to find a, I found a good game cop podcast that provides scenario-based analysis. And that's true. And I'll, I'll, I think in terms of scenarios, just because nothing is ever black and white. If, if you talk in terms of absolutes, you know, that's, that's when things catch up with you when you're covering this game. Uh, I'll give you an example. Last year, University of Tennessee volunteers. Who in the world would have taken them to have one of the longest winning streaks in college football right now you know, not only after they lost to BYU and Georgia State, but you know they played Georgia at home, played just about as well as they could, and lost 43-14. to 14. That team had trouble crossing the 50. Uh, then they beat Mississippi State in a defensive struggle and then played Alabama tough for a half, had their opportunities there. Uh, and then they come and beat the Gamecocks, and away they go. And they were impressive against Missouri this past weekend. So, yeah, that's why I do scenarios because you, you have scenarios that – are more likely than others, but uh you gotta kind of throw all of them out. I mean, there's a scenario this weekend where Carolina doesn't have the hosses on offense. Vandy plays a great defensive game, and you know, Carolina can't score and they lose 14-10. So that's um, you know, that's a that's a that's a realistic scenario. There's also a scenario where Carolina goes up there and blows them out or plays them close and wins, you know, that kind of thing. A win though by 3 or 30 this weekend, you take it and you move on. You know, you, it's, it's a 10-game SEC schedule. you got to get to five because these bowls, although there's no minimum win total for bowls now, they still have all their tie-ins. So the MAC is playing. Everybody else is playing. So you're, you're looking at those eight SEC bowl slots or however many they are as, as, you know, what you're looking at. So unless everybody else is four and six or three and seven, you're not getting to a bowl otherwise. Um, Joseph goes on, he says, I was disappointed with many Gamecock fans after the fire for the fire of Muschamp rats. However, after watching the clock tick and our offense deliberately not having any sense of urgency, I'm beginning to question Muschamp in many ways. It's called a kick a field goal against Tennessee when you're down a touchdown is questionable, but I'll let that go. What I can't let go is the fact we've eliminated ourselves from a chance of winning a game for a second week in a row, and it felt very deliberate and mind numbing. Not sure if he lacks the required in, in-game instincts to give his teams the best check for the winners, just so, so conservative to a point that it literally cost us the ability to be competitive. What are your thoughts? Uh, he said, as a loyal fan who always be remain loyal, it's gut-wrenching to see the decisions made by critical moments in the game from coach Muschamp. Thanks again for all you do. Yeah. I mean, and I knew it when I saw the clock chipping down and I was like, they're probably going to score here and they should have. Should have been 38, 31. I was like, there's going to be a lot of questions about that, and and I don't know, you know. I've checked with some sources inside the program, and they they kind of all say, well, that, that was the right call because we're going to have to go for a onside kick anyway once it got to a certain point, and that's how the offense works, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I think if they'd had it to do over, they have gone a little faster, and we'll just see. I, let's not, you know, let's not let that seven minutes or whatever. You know, define the rest of the year. Now, if it keeps happening, obviously, you know, you, you, you can't. You know, if they're if they're down seven and they're driving and they're you know, playing for, I don't know, you know, down fourteen, I would like to see them go a little faster myself. But I also understand this offense is not going to be a tempo offense this year, and Carolina is not going to win games going tempo. They're, they're very methodical. They pick their spots. They play call guys open. Um, you know, because they just don't have – right now, you know, you still need some receivers to step up. And I, by the way, I still feel better about the receivers than I did uh, because I do think there's some guys outside of Shy Smith that can make some plays, especially, you know, with Colin Hill making decisions and finding the open guy. They need to catch the ball. But I still feel it better. So, anyway, hang in there. I I get it. I I get it because that's two weeks in a row where when you lose, you can question it. I mean, things are going to get questioned, and, and I get it. Uh hey, Carolina come back and scored and beat Tennessee 34-31. Muschamp's a genius because then, you know, otherwise it, they're they're playing for the tie if they had not converted and gotten a touchdown. Um, or you're maybe you're not, maybe you're lining up Parker White. I don't know. But I, I get it. Um and like I said, I, I don't really have any answers for that other than one ones that were provided, you know, by Muschamp. All right. Oski Brown emails in. He's like, I could make an analogy to politics, but alas, this is not the place for that. You and me both. We had close losses to a top 15 team and a top five team on the road. You'd think we just lost by three scores to Charleston Southern. Hill is making good decisions and accurate throws. The skill positions at wideout. out or a failure of recruiting and development. But if you can't see the improvement improvement over the team that can barely muster a touchdown last three games of the season, then you're just being biased against must champ. I agree. You got to look at the improvement and there has been improvement. I can't go on big spur anymore. <laughs> Other than about three or four rational based posters, it's just a toilet bowl of hateful and childish discourse. Reddit or Twitter is really not even better. No Reddit and Twitter are cesspools compared to the big spur. I'll, I'll, I'll debate that with you. Cause I, I understand The message boards get toxic when you're owing to, but for the most part, the people that are on the message boards are the people that like care enough to to research it and and are passionate enough to get into it uh, and dig in. Now there are some people that are negative and they won't change and and that's fine. You know, I mean, obviously there's some people that were done a long time ago. Uh, It was not a popular hire, you know, Uh, it was not going to be uh, because you're talking about a program that, had two coaching changes in 16 and a half years, and ended up with Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. So whoever got the job, Tom Herman, who, by the way, uh, that's not going so well for him out there, you Kirby, Smart, or whoever, uh, it, 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 there was going to be some grumbling because just simply the, the, none of those people were going to be Steve Spurrier. Um, one thing I don't get from the fan base is they're acting like this is a normal season. It's not. With our pre-COVID schedule, we might be 4-0 right now. I agree with you on that. I think the way Carolina's played the first two weeks, if they had played Charleston Southern, East Carolina—I mean, sorry, Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, Missouri, and at Kentucky, that Kentucky game would have been probably close. But I think that I think they they looked better than Kentucky the first two weeks. No one wants to hear it, but you have to grade on a curve this year. And I'm sorry, it's not a loser mentality to gauge areas where the team is improving. I agree. This team can get five wins, but it's not going to be easy. Missouri, Vandy, Texas A&M, Georgia, Auburn, Kentucky. They have the ability to win or lose any of these. I agree. I really think the story the coaches will show in the film room is that they're only a few plays away from everything clicking. Hopefully it will happen. Yes, I, I do agree there. I think that you got to remain positive. Muschamp said it today. He said that the staff thought, you know, they were going to have to go out and, and practice today, and really kind of turn it up, the enthusiasm. But the players did it for them. And that's a positive thing. You know, again, there are a lot of positive things. Uh, but the bottom line is winning. Um, it's a positive thing when the weather's warm outside, but if it's not sunny and warm, you know, there's a big cloud, right? <laughs> it's dampering your day. It's just like, you know, there's nice weather. The wind's blowing a little bit. It's, it's 78 degrees and breezy, but if there's cloud cover, it's not as good as 78 and sunny. Um, and, and so that's the point with all that. He says, man, the message boards were toxic. It didn't used to be this bad. And, and I knew, you know, and that's why I said last week, you know, for me, as someone that owns a business, and look, I want to I wanna say this right to start with. Gamecocks win, Gamecocks lose. Um, coaching staff isn't as good as people thought. You know, we report positive news from the preseason and it doesn't come to pass, which preseason news is news from practice and that never is a predictor of what's going to happen. Um the big spur and everything I do is going to be fine. You know, financially we, you know, there's been some rough patches uh, since we've had this thing and and it's grown. And that's a tribute and a Testament to the fans and the product we put out. So it's, it's not that, you know, I'm worried about losing my livelihood um, or anyone else that works for me, losing their livelihood if Carolina loses, but the toxicity on the board is tough. Um, and, and it's because, you know, you kind of get to know people, even though you don't know them over the years, poster wise and stuff. And you know, they're hurting, you know, they're posting negative things cause they're hurt because they care about their team and you don't want to see people hurting, especially your customers and your people you've gotten to know. I mean, cause I mean, you'd be amazed when you meet people that are on the message board, some of the folks that you, you probably don't like very much as posters, you, you love as people, you know, you go hang out and have a beer with them. They're, they're just as nice as possible. So, that that, that's the that's the thing is is it's it's about passion and that passion does boil over and i'm sorry i'm sorry just apologize to you because i i don't want you to feel bad whenever you go on the message boards and stuff like that but uh, you know for me it's almost like a coach where you're relieved if you win and it's devastating when you lose and i take it you know just because of the negative energy that happens on the site you know i'm not a fanboy homer that you know i used to be gosh when i was in the 90s i had a lot of bad days because i ruined my whole week if the gamecocks lost but you know i've lived through enough to where it doesn't you know i'm not emotionally tied to it other than the 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 negative energy it's like it's like ghostbusters 2 the negative slime that's below the city i don't know if you ever seen ghostbusters 2 it's not great hopefully the new ghostbusters is good but um you know, that negative slime under the city, that, I mean, that, that's kind of what it is when the Gamecocks lose. And that brings me down. And so I'm almost relieved when they win, you know, rather than being happy. Uh, and that sucks. But, you know, hey, I, I get paid to do this. And it's a dream job covering the team I've loved since I was a kid. So that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good job in the grand scheme of things. All right, Kyle. Kyle emailed me in. Uh, and ask. Uh, last week, he actually got this in right when I was recording on Friday. He said, "JC love the podcast. Can you shed some light on what happened to Jamel Cook and Rosendo Lewis? Cook seemed like the most impressive looking athlete in our secondary two springs ago. And I remember saying people Lewis would end up better than Channing Tindall. Well, the thing with Lewis was this: he he's just not been healthy. You know, same old story for a lot of guys. Uh, he's kind of the Jalen Dickerson of the linebacking core right now." They're supposed to get him back. You know, he um he played a lot as a true freshman than redshirted last year because he wasn't healthy. And he's got a long way to go. I hope he's a guy that kind of sticks with it because he's he's very instinctive. And I and I'll say this too. You know, Melvin Ingram came in as a, a bigger linebacker like Rosendo. And, you know, he didn't really tear it up his first two years. And they they were then they finally moved him, and I'm not saying that'll happen with Lewis. But he, you know, when you watched Rosendo Lewis play linebacker in high school, I wouldn't say he was as instinctive as Melvin Ingram, but he had those reminder type instincts. Does that make sense? And I, yeah, I did like him better than Chandy too. Um, so we'll see. Uh, with Jamel Cook, I agree with you. Impressive looking athlete, never got with the program, ended up getting in trouble. So they had to let him go. He was kind of on a zero tolerance kind of deal at South Carolina. Um, so they had to t- turn him loose and, you know, hopefully, I mean, it'd be good to have Cook right now, though, because I think Cook could play receiver for this team and be pretty good at it. Um, that's kind of what I liked him better as coming out of high school in Miami. But uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, So, alas, that didn't happen. All right. That's all the time we have today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Keep writing those reviews and, and giving those ratings. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get – we're gonna to get to a thousand by the end of the season. I'm pretty sure. Got eight more games, eight more weeks, nine more weeks in the season, eight more games. So, we'll see what happens then. Uh, this is JC Sherbert. Everyone, have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.